listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. I get the opportunity to be able to bring the word to you this morning. And uh, it's always a privilege and honor to be able to share the, the pulpit with Pastor Rocky and Pastor Andrew. And uh, I just want to put this out here real quick. I like to have fun uh, as, as, as I'm up here on stage and I just like to enjoy our time with one another. So there may be some things that I throw out here and, and, and just receive it with, with you know, grace and, 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 and mercy. Uh, because for the most part, I'm joking. Okay, I, I just want to make sure you guys realize that. And, um, but through this, I feel like God's laid something on my heart. And um, I, I just believe that God could do a great thing in our lives here uh, uh, today. And, and I, I hope you had a Merry Christmas. Um, I hope that you got everything that you, you asked for and everything that you wanted. And if you didn't, uh, maybe if you're a little better next year, uh, you will be gifted with you know, better gifts. And, and you'll, just, you'll just be happier with that. Um, but I don't know about you, but after the Christmas season, soon as Christmas is over, if, if it was up to me, I'd take down all the lights. Uh, I'd take down the, the, the decorations and the Christmas tree, and I'd put them back in their boxes and their little bins and put them right back in the shed or the garage or wherever it is that you store them. That's, that's how I am. I, 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 just, I just like a clean house. I don't like clutter. It's not that I'm, I'm pushing Christmas away. I just like to have things in their place. Is there anybody that says, Pastor Scott, I can identify with that, and the rest of y'all are like, no. I carry Christmas all the way through March, right? Um, but no, I, I, love, I love just cleaning the house. I like getting everything somewhat organized and straight. Um, I, I'm assuming that most of y'all enjoy a clean house. I, I love coming to a house and seeing, you know, the floors clean, the, the countertops clean. I love coming into our, our house and, and seeing that the, the bathroom is, is, is fresh and I, I, I love going and laying down in our bed and, and smelling, you know, the, the, the clean smell of, of fabric soft, not fabric softener, I get a headache, but whatever the, the, the good smell part is and, and the, the cleaner um, on our bed, she, I, I enjoy that. I like having a, a clean house, but you know what? Um, I have kids. And if you have kids, you understand what it is to have a clean house most likely it is not clean. And as much as you want to clean, keep it clean, you realize that as, as, as much as you do and as much preparation and work you put into it with kids, it's like being on the can and, and realizing that there's one square piece on that paper towel roll there. And no matter how great your little origami skills are, um, a mess is inevitable, right? And, and, and with kids, it's just ine inevitable that our, our house is never going to stay clean. Parents, can I get amen? amen. All right. So we're going to move past this, right? And we're going we're gonna to look into something. And if you haven't noticed already, my whole topic and, and, and focus today is, is cleaning house. Cleaning house. And, and not just, I'm going to use a lot of metaphors within our, our personal homes, this and that. But what I'm talking about is our spiritual homes here today and, and how we can clean house there as well. Um, but as many of us, as we can probably agree that we love a clean house, how we get to the clean house is probably different. There's different types of, of personalities. And, and granted, there's, there, your cleaning method is different, Correct. Uh, I, I like to think of, of different types of cleaning um, personalities. One, there's the general, 
right? The general is the person that kind of gives everyone a task. Maybe it's an index card if you're really, really sick. You give people index cards and you write things that they are to do and you start handing these things out, right? You give them tasks. And, and, and these people, they go up and beyond. I, I like a clean house. But I don't have to move my stove every week to clean behind it. You know, I don't have to wash down the baseboards and all that. I probably should, but I don't have to wash down the baseboards. You know, just, you know, surface clean, you know, not, not the deep down clean. Uh, but a general man, they do that. Not only do they do that, is that they give the task to everybody. Then they got their white glove on and they're coming through with inspection and they're looking and they're keeping track of what is done right and what isn't. And if you don't do it right, what do you have to do? Start all over, do it again. That's right. And there's another person. This is typically a teenager or a kid. So teenagers, please don't do this. Uh, but there's the hider. The hider. These people clean their house by hiding everything in their house. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put shade on me right now. We had family. We had friends come over. And uh, my wife does a good job at keeping, you know, laundry clean and doing all that kind of stuff. And, but I have... I have the belief, I'm going to get myself in trouble here, but I'm already in it. So I have the belief that, you know, my wife should probably not only wash and dry my clothes, but she should, you know, fold them and put them up for me. And, and I'm just kidding. But she doesn't do that. She washes them because she's a saint. Um, but she leaves them right there for me to clean. And usually it's right in front of the, the corner of my spot on the bed. And what will happen is I will have a pile of clean clothes in its hamper for a period of time. And the period of time is, you know, determined based off of my schedule and how busy I am and the type of mood that I'm in at the time of whether or not I want to clean it, put it away. Um, and so I'm seeing these things. And, and, and during Christmas time, we had people, like I said, coming over. We had a youth party. And so I just, teenagers, don't listen. Parents, don't judge me. But I just took all my clean clothes in the hamper, and I just went to my closet, opened up the doors, put it in there, close it. Boom. It was done, right? No one saw it, but deep down I knew what. There was, there was still cleaning to take place. If you go to someone's house and you look close enough, you'll, you might see that those people are a hider cleaner if you go to sit down on a couch and maybe you start pulling articles of clothing out from the cushions or, or maybe even like a plate or a cup out of the cushion. Um, if you're anything like one of my, uh, my, my, my youngest daughter, or not my youngest, my oldest daughter here, she likes to hide candy wrappers underneath her pillow. And so she'll sneak candy sometimes and, and you know, she just leaves the wrappers right there. And we're praying that it's a phase that she will, you know, grow out of eventually. Um, my son, however, he's a different type of cleaner. He's the distract, distracted cleaner. He, he's the individual, and I, gotta, I get a little bit of this, but um, we will give him a task. Usually my wife will give him a task, and he'll go into his room, and you, you think three, four, five hours later that that task has plenty of time to be finished. But he'll, we'll come in, and we're like, Son, what have you been doing? And it's, it's worse than when he started. And what he does is he gets in there and he starts. He starts off good. But as he's like organizing his drawers, he'll pull something out and he'll start looking at it. And he'll start playing with the old toys or, or, or start looking at old notes or whatever it is. He gets distracted and nothing gets done. Can anybody relate? 
We see it. It's a struggle. Me, I'm more of a sporadic OCD cleaner. I'm one of these individuals that at certain weird periods of time, and I'll just come in, and I'm like, start cleaning up. I'm like, you know, throw, telling the kids start doing certain things. I come home from work, and as I come home from work, you know, my mind is still task-focused, and I'm still, my gears are still going. So what do I walk in and see? Not a clean house. I walk in and see book bags on the floor, papers all over the counter, food and snack you know, debris all over the, the house. And I'm just like, guys, you know, every single day, you know, pick up after yourself. And I'm coming in and I'm doing all this. But then I realize I'm a dad of three. Why am I doing this? Kids, start cleaning, right? And then that brings me to my next one is the, uh, the delegator. This individual, it's their mess, but it ain't their mess to clean up. It's somebody else's. They either pay somebody else or they tell somebody else to do it, Right. Uh, if you haven't realized, we are talking about cleaning house, as I said earlier. But, you know, cleaning house is this, is to eliminate or discard what is undesirable. And again, it's not just talking about our physical homes, but our spiritual homes are, as well. Cleaning house is to eliminate or discard the trash. Either is it within our house or within our spiritual house. Cleaning house is to eliminate or discard whatever it is that is growing in the back corner of your refrigerator that you are too scared to touch. It's time to clean some of those things out in our lives as well. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up to John chapter 2. This is a well uh, familiar story. I'm sure that the majority of you have heard this story. Um, this is the story known of Jesus coming into the temple and he starts turning some tables over. He doesn't like what he sees. And some people will call this the great temple tantrum. Okay. I see what I'm working with. And it's not much. All right. Others know it as uh, Jesus cleaning out the temple. Basically, Jesus comes and he cleans house. That's exactly what takes place. And join with me. John chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. It says this. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip of cords and drove them from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold the doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I just want to take these next few moments. That God, as we open up your word, Lord, we will apply it to our lives. That God, your Holy Spirit would start moving about us, Lord Jesus. And if there's anything that is within us that is disobedient, that does not align to the will that you have for our life, Lord Jesus. If it contradicts your word, God, I pray that you will make things right. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to give a little backstory of what is what has kind of taken place here um, through these scriptures. It is a custom that, you know, at a certain time for the, the, the Jewish Passover that you know, the, the, the Jewish people and all those individuals that wanted to come visit the temple, that they would pay a tax. And not only did they have to pay a tax, but, you know, and to be right standing, Jesus Christ has not died on the cross. He's not been the ultimate sacrifice for us yet. There was still sacrifice to be taken place. And so not only did they have to pay this tax, um, but they would not take the form of any type of monies that was not the Jewish custom, uh, their coinage. And so they would have to have an exchange rate take place. 
And of course, they're in charge of the exchange rate. So what, what, what do you think t- took place? The rates were skyrocketing, right? They would take advantage of people when they go to exchange the monies uh, to, so they could pay the simple tax. Not only did they do that for the money, but when they go to buy the animals, they would also charge an exorbitant amount. They would overcharge these individuals. They would take advantage of these peoples. And then also this story of Jesus clearing out the temple, um, it is mentioned a few times in the Gospels. There is one time that it is mentioned at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And there's another time, two separate times actually, that it's mentioned at the end of Jesus' ministry. And some people want to bring these and make it one. Um, If you want to believe that, it's perfectly fine. Uh, I myself, I don't believe that. I believe that it's two separate circumstances. I believe the, the, the details in these two give enough evidence that it is two separate occasions here. And what I love about that is that it's two separate occasions is God is consistent about what is to take place in his father's house. God is consistent of the the fact of the standard that he has. And and again, I love this story. First off, too often we view Jesus as unrelatable. Sometimes we think of Jesus as as, as too far, uh, unrelatable. He's too good. We, we, We can't, we can't, you know, bond with him. We can't get on the same page with him. For some of us, we think that Jesus is this weak guy. He's, he's, he's frail. You know, he's just someone that likes to tell stories and, and, and heal people, right? And, and so there's kind of a disconnect that we have with Jesus. But I love the fact that in this story, I can relate with Jesus. I'm like, yes, I understand this. I get this in all that I am. I love the fact that Jesus had a righteous anger about him. Um, and, and get this, this whole picture of what Jesus is doing and what has taken place here. It, Jesus walks up to this temple, the, the gates of the temple, and he sees what's going on. And, and, and he doesn't just overlook it like we have the tendency to do sometimes. Sometimes we have the tendency of seeing something wrong in our lives or in someone else's life. And, and, and maybe God is spoken to us and, and put a certain uh, spirit about us saying, hey, we need to, to work on these things. We need to fix these things. But sometimes we overlook them as if God isn't speaking to us. But Jesus sees this circumstance taking place. He sees the money exchanging hands. He sees people being taken advantage of. He sees a house of prayer that is not being uh, dedicated to that but yet they are now dedicated to other things. And, and Jesus says, I can't overlook this. And he gets upset about it. And I love this. I love this. He doesn't go into a fit of rage. The Bible, the Bible is clear that Jesus does not sin. And we have to be cautious in our own lives that when we get upset that our anger doesn't bring us to sin as well. There is a thing called righteous anger and we could be angry about certain things. But yet it doesn't bring us to the circumstance of sin. But what we do sometimes is we justify our anger and our lashing out and our times of, of you know, lack of control, they say, and we try to compare it to what Jesus did at the temple. And, and at no time are we able to, to compare our road rage of that individual driving the speed limit in the left lane of the interstate. If that's you see me after service, I'd love to talk to you a little bit. Um, but if, that, if, if your road rage is, is, is going off, don't compare that with what took place at the temple of Jesus. If you go off on your kids because they spilled juice for the second time at dinner, that is not the same thing that has taken place here as well. If you fly off at the handle because of a referee's bad call 
in the midst of a game, do not equate that. Don't, don't balance that out with what God is doing here. Because too many times I think we want to say, hey, it's the same thing. No, 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 no. This is the difference between us and Jesus. Jesus, in his right mind, calmly and methodically worked this out. When I get angry, I don't know about you, why don't we speak for myself? When I get angry a lot of times, not only do I just kind of, you know, speak, and especially when I was young, I would black out. I, not that I blacked out, like pass out, but I would like forget what happened for the first few moments, and then I would dawn back up in the midst of a fight or, you know, upset or something like that, and I'm just like, I don't know what happened, but I gotta continue now, right? Um, that's not what happened to Jesus. Jesus thought this thing out. Jesus was so calm, at some point, he's like, hey guys, let me get, your, let me get those cords from you. Let, let, let me gather this. And, and people, you know, his disciples, I'm sure, are looking at him like, man, what's Jesus doing right now? It's like arts and crafts time or something, you know. He's, he's got these cords together and he's just weaving. He's just braiding stuff up, you know, he's putting stuff together. And then all of a sudden, verse, what is it, verse uh, 15 describes what he is making as a whip. And so Jesus, how many, if you get upset, your hands start shaking, right? You, you, you don't have the peace of mind to just calmly sit and weave something together. There's a difference there. And we can see that here in his, 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 his attitude. And for me, I like to think things out. How many of you, when you read God's word, you like to maybe put yourself in the, the story? You like to visualize what is going on, right? Anybody else like that? Okay. I, I, take, I like taking it a step further, though. You guys might be here looking, reading, you know, pers- you know, pers- you know, looking at something a certain way. You perceive it a certain way. Me, I, I, t- I take it a next notch over. And, and then I maybe add a little. I don't, I don't take away from the Word of God. I'm not necessarily adding to the Word of God. But just the way my mind works, it helps me experience it. And so I picture Jesus coming into the temple. The gates there, he busts the gates up and all eyes are on Jesus. He's got his newfound tool of correction in his hand. And he's like, he, he's sitting there. <laughs> he's sitting there. He's like, you desecrate the house of God. If you know the movie, you can know the movie. But he's in there, right? And he's, he's doing his thing. And, and all of a sudden, you know, some, some Christian rock music comes on. Some like, some energy music. It's Christian though, all right? Some energy music is going. And, you know, Jesus is feeling music, right? And he comes over. He's like, bow. He starts kicking tables over. Throwing tables, you know, taking money and like, you know, just throwing in the air. I see people picking up the money. There's one guy in the corner. He's going to try to take Jesus out. And Jesus sees it. And he comes in. He kicks him in the stomach. And he does like a little stunner on him. That's just me. That's, that's how I see these things. And I'm like, yes, that's my Jesus. You know, that's, that's what I'm at. But that's not necessarily what took place. What did take place is calmly... Methodically, again, Jesus comes in and he starts turning tables over. And he starts taking the money. He says, no, we're not about this. And he starts throwing the money out. And then he takes his whip and he starts driving out not only all the people, but yet he starts driving out the cattle, the sacrifices that are there. Jesus was cleaning house. Jesus was cleaning house. It's then... When that righteous anger that took place, that he's, as he's cleaning the house, he says, look, you, this is a house of prayer. This is my father's house, but yet now you are making it a den of robbers. 
This is a den of thieves. You are going to have no part of this. And he pushes them out. Here we get a glimpse of the side of Jesus that we've never seen before, and I like it. I can relate to it, right? I can understand, yes, Jesus, I got you here. I understand what is taking place. Have you ever seen, maybe you've known somebody for years, maybe you've worked for somebody for many years, you've been married to somebody for many years, you grew up with them in school or whatever it is, and and everything's good and great, but then all of a sudden, something snaps, and you see a different side of somebody you've never seen before? Anybody else experienced that? Oh, man, I've experienced that. And, and, and before first service, I looked over at my wife. I said, hey, I'm just going to use you as a sermon illustration for a moment. And I said, it's all good, babe. I love you. It's, it's all great. And, and so she has 100% gave me, you know, uh, a permission to use this. Um, she has not, but we got a two-and-a-half-hour drive together, so we'll work things out afterwards. Um, but, no, we, we are engaged and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let you guys understand this first. Um, as you know, women, you know, they, they take a lot of the, the burden during a wedding. They, they, they make a lot of the plans. You know, us, us guys, we sit back and we're just like, just tell me when to be there. I'm, I'm good to go. Just tell me to show up, what to wear. We're, we're good. The wives, however, they carry all the weight. And I'm I'm assuming my wife was carrying a whole lot of weight at this time. And we were having a conversation about family and who was going to be in the wedding and who was doing this and who was doing that. And and, and I'm a jokester. I love to tell jokes. I love to joke around. And so I just made a comment. I was like, you know, I don't know if we need any of those inbred people of our our wedding, you know, like that. And and so I just threw that out there as, you know, joking. and, And she did not receive it as a joke at all. At all. And when I say at all, not even a little bit. Not even a little bit, but right then, sun snapped. And I saw another side of my wonderful, beautiful wife that I'd never want to see before or, or, or again. Um, but I started, you know, her face started changing. Her tone started changing. And, and for the next few minutes, man, I don't even know what happened. I woke up and I saw stars. No, I'm just kidding. She never hurt me. She never harmed me. But we're in the car, and I can't escape. I'm like, you know, next stoplight, can I get out? You know, my mind is start wondering, you know, what have we already paid for? What's the, what's the return policy on the engagement ring? Because I don't know who's in front of me right now. And I'm, honestly, I'm a little scared. Um, but no, everything is great. We've been married for 16 years now. Um, we're wonderful. And, you know, hey, this is the thing I realized, that someone has to come in and make you know, the family tree a little more branchy, right? So that's, that's what I did, and I, I, I did that. No, I love, I love, I love her people. I love her family. They are now my family. I love them very much. So if any of them are watching, thank you for watching. And I do love you very much. Hey, guys, if anyone has an empty room, <laughs> clean it out first and then let me stay in that for you. Um, no, to put myself on, on blast as well, I, um, I snapped probably a few months ago. We were, we were at a volleyball game, parents, sports. You know, kids play sports. It goes to the next level. And so my daughter is, is in, a, in, a, in a playoff volleyball game. And, and if you know anything about the volleyball games, it's this, that 
A lot of times they will come up to the family members and say, look, we need line judges. And normally, me and my son, we would rotate about being a line judge. We were perfectly cool with that. We are like, we've done it before, you know, this is in, this is out. That's basically all you got to do. And so we just watched this line. And, and because I was a parent, I said, you know what, Trent, you take this one. You're, you know how to do it. You're experienced. You're good. You know, you're comfortable with it. Go ahead and do it. And, and, and you know, the game is proceeding. You know, my daughter's team is winning. It's a very close game. And, and, and my son makes a bad judgment call. The ball should have been out. He called it in. I was right there. We were behind the play. It is what it is. It worked out in our benefit, but it is what it is. However, the other side of the bleachers did not agree with it. To the point to where the referee, the hedge judge, looks at him and says, was it in or was it out? My son does not change his answer. He's like, it was in. It was in. And when that happened, those parents lost it and I let it go for a second I let it go for a second and then something started stirring up in me it was like Jesus at the temple no I'm just kidding (laughs) something started stirring up in me and if you're a parent you know there's a fine line when someone starts messing with your kid mamas am I correct and and so man I these people started talking and then I finally found myself standing up and pointing And letting them know, look, when the judge was around asking for volunteers, not one of y'all were looking and saying, I'll volunteer. Y'all started looking at your watch, started looking at your phone. You were doing everything else rather than being willing to be a participant in this. But you allowed the 15-year-old to be a part of it. And that's where that that righteousness, that anger started building up in me. I I started feeling people tugging my shirt. I had family there, I had friends there, I had some of our staff, youth staff there. And, and what I realized was, I thought I was alone, but I wasn't alone. Some of them like, I got you, Scott. I got you. And they're like flashing knives and stuff. I'm like, it ain't going to that. It ain't going to be like that, guys. I'm just kidding about that part, too. Just making sure. But this is the thing. This is the thing. The disciples saw a side of Jesus that they have never seen before. Verse 17 describes it as a zeal for the house of the Lord came over Jesus. That word zeal is a great enthusiasm and support of a cause. Shouldn't that, shouldn't that be what we are as Christians? Shouldn't we have a great zeal for the cause of Jesus Christ? Shouldn't we be passionate about the things of Jesus Christ and when we see sin in our lives, we see junk in our lives? Shouldn't we be passionate about to go after these things and clean these things out? Shouldn't we see when people are being uh, taken advantage of and, and being hurt and being uh, accused of certain shouldn't we come alongside them and help them? I believe we should be, have a passion like that. <clears throat> Second, excuse me, the story reminds me of how we should honor the sacred. I think too many times we make light of the things that God takes seriously. And I think in our personal lives we do this a lot. And we may not even be aware of it. We do this by a lot of the times what we allow through our eyes and through our ears, what we allow ourselves to listen to and watch. Uh, God's been convicting me quite a bit over some of the things that I allowed myself to watch and allow myself to listen to. And, and part of me is like, you know, I'm a mature Christian. I can handle these things. These things don't, you know, hurt my walk. However, I do have kids. Uh, and, and if I won't allow my kids to watch these things, then God is... He's working in here as well. 
And I think too often we, we take light the things that God takes serious and we laugh at the things that God will not laugh about, but yet he cringes about and he hurts about. Wiley Miller says this, stupidity is a condition, ignorance is a choice. While stupidity is a condition, ignorance is a choice, we cannot choose to be ignorant about the things that are holy and matter to God. We cannot purposely as Christians turn a blind eye to the things that God says is wrong. We can't open up our own temples and ask God to bless us and move on our lives when God and the Spirit is trying to pull things out and we're holding on to them. We've got to allow God to move. We can no longer allow ignorance to be a part of this. The priests in that temple, they chose to be ignorant at the time. Because they themselves, they have a book. The book of Leviticus is written for them. It lays out the laws for their life. It lays out the practices of how they are to conduct temple worship how they are to conduct, uh, conduct sacrifices within the temple, how the praise of God is to be uh, handled. But yet they chose to be ignorant to the fact that I ain't worried about what God's standard is. I'm going to move to my standard. And I'm going to choose to turn a blind eye to what God says. I'm going to say what is okay. And I'm going to move these markets, these tables, this coinage. I'm going to move this into God's temple, his house of prayer rather than outside in the streets where it belonged. And they made that choice. These priests knew the book of Leviticus. At a young age, they would have had it memorized. But yet they again chose to turn a blind eye against the examples of the Old Testament. People like uh, Nahab and Abihu. Uh, these sons of Aaron, they brought into, a, into the temple of God a strange fire. And it cost them their lives. If you want to look at it, Leviticus uh, verse 10, uh, verse uh, 1 through 10, or excuse me, chapter 10, verse 1 through 2. And it says, Aaron's sons, Nahab and Abihu, took their censers of fire, put, or put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. And that's key, contrary to what God's standard was. So the fire came out of the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they both died before the Lord. God is serious about his laws. God is serious about his conditions for our lives. And too many times I feel like we push it aside. We make light of what is sacred. There's another example of King Uzziah. King Uzziah, he was a, he was a great young king at first. He started putting things in, in practice and in the right direction that wasn't there before. But the Bible says this, that an arrogance led him to his own destruction. Doesn't that sound about right? That sometimes we get so confident to where we are at in our relationship with God, we're like, I can handle this. The Bible says to flee sexual immorality, but you know what? I can handle this. I've dealt with this before. And we think that because of our arrogance and our our strength that we can handle certain things. And God said, no, you need to go against this. And King Uzziah, he thought because of his heirs, because of his stature, he could go into where only the priests were to be and allow incense, to burn incense in the throne. And if you know the story, maybe you don't, the priests come alongside uh, one another, and, and they're, too, they're a little too scared to come up against the king by himself, right? And so, um, <laughs> I'm not going to do it. 
I rebuke you, Satan. And so he comes alongside, uh, the priests come alongside one another and say, look, you know, the king is doing something wrong. And, and we got to band together and we got to go into the temple and we got to correct what the king is doing. And so they come up together and, and the Bible says it's like 50 to 75, however many the number is there if you're looking at it. Awesome. Um, let me know later exactly what that was. But they come up together in one accord and they say, king, what you're doing is wrong. And instead of the king, you know, humbling himself, he becomes enraged. And the Bible says he com- becomes enraged with anger. And he goes against the priests. He's coming at them with the, the, the incense. And, 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 and the Bible tells us that at that time, leprosy, leprosy started to sprout on his forehead. And it goes on to say that he lived the rest of his life with leprosy and he was isolated. You know what that'll do? When we allow sin to take place in our lives, we're going to isolate ourselves from God. We're going to live alone, and God is going to want to bestow certain things on us, but he can't because there's sin in the place of it. Don't choose to be ignorant. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be ignorant. Look at the other one and say, too late. Ha, just kidding. I'm sorry. Thirdly, the story reminds me of, of how how I myself should be keeping my house in order. And this is, what, this is really where I, I, I want to put a little bit of emphasis with where you're at today. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, Do you not know that you yourself are God's temple and that the Spirit dwells in you? If we are God's temple and the Spirit dwells in us, everywhere we go, God is with us. It doesn't matter what avenue of life you're in, where you're at, what you're conducting, the Spirit of God is there. So I ask you are, you, are you grieving the Spirit wherever you're going? Or are you building up the Spirit wherever you're going? I, I just want us to, to kind of think about that for a moment. The temple of God is no longer made up of wood and stone, but it's made of bone and flesh. We ourselves represent Jesus Christ. And with the same zeal that Jesus had for his temple, we need to understand that it's time for us to clean our house. It's time for us to make room for God in the areas that he wants to make room. So I want to ask you this. What does this tell us about what God wants to do in our own lives? What is this telling us what God wants to do in our own lives? And I want to look first right here is our heart. I want to look at our heart and I want to look at the heart of the priests. Because if, if your heart is after God, then you're going to be in accord with what God's direction is. You're going to be in the right standing of, of, of the direction that God has for your life. But when we hearts are, 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 are going astray of what God wants, when it contradicts what God wants, then we're not lining up in, in, in the direction that God is moving in our lives. And the priest here, God wanted his house to be a house of prayer and worship. But what did the priest want? They wanted to make the money. And so that's where their heart was. And get this, Matthew 21, verse 10, it says this, But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out of the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were mad. They were upset that the fact that in the house, in the temple, God's house, that worship and prayer was taking place. They were upset that God was being glorified in the temple. Can, can we wrap our minds around this? The priests 
were upset that worship was taking place in the temple. That is the whole purpose of the temple. Their hearts did not line up with what God's heart was, what God's focus was for his life. And so I ask you, I ask myself, does the things that honor God reside in me? Does the things that honor God, do they reside in you? Second Chronicles 16.9, and I'm closing, it says this, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Next thing I want to look at is Jesus says that they made the temple a den of thieves. They made it a den of robbers. And I can't help but ask, what does our temple look like to God? What does our temple look like to God? And, and you know what? I, I, I want to believe that for the majority of us, we want a relationship with God. We want to pursue God like we never have. We want to experience the move of God in our lives. We want the spirit to flow freely in our lives. But just like our dirty house at certain times, uh, uh, it doesn't start overnight. It starts little by little. There's a little piece of trash here. There's a little piece of trash there. There's, there's a little bit of clutter that's starting to accumulate on a dresser or a desk. And just like our lives, we're, we're to and fro, and sometimes we start picking up certain things. Maybe it's like gossip. Maybe we're hanging out with certain people and we, the gossip just starts flowing. And you're like, well, is it really gossip if it's true? Well, yeah, it's still gossip. Is it still, is it still wrong to, 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 to chase after certain things if everybody else is doing it? Yes. But, but I saw this pastor doing, the, I don't care if it con contradicts the word of God, don't do it. And we've got to line ourselves up. And, and, and a lot of times what happens is some of the things that God blesses us in our lives with, we take those blessings and we turn them into little idols and we place them in our temple. And we, and we take the blessing of self and we make ourselves the idol and we start worshiping ourselves. And it's what we want rather than what God wants. We, we start looking at some of the blessings that God has given us and what we want to do is we want to accumulate more and more and more rather than turn and bless as God would want us to bless. And in and, and certain things, we, we get the idol of greed. We get the idol of, 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 of sports. Maybe we even get the idol of sex. And, and we just want these things, and everything is based off of these things in our lives. And, and if we're not careful, what we do is we build up gods in our life with little g, not the big g. We make little gods in our life that God says there is no room for them and me. You will serve one master. And I am him. That is what we are called to do. God blessed the priest with an awesome opportunity to lead prayer and worship in his temple, but yet they distorted it. You have the awesome opportunity to lead prayer and worship in this temple. What are you doing with it? What am I doing with it? What does your temple look like? The book of Proverbs warns us, he who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses his sins and renounces them finds mercy. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.